Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, what's today? Thursday, my God, it's almost Friday. Thank God. What a week. What a week this was. And uh, this is John Katsimatidis. And in the studio, we have two common sense Democrats uh, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Governor David Patterson. And we have, well, is he a common sense Republican? Tony Coburn. Yes. Common sense Republican. I'll, I'll take it. With a great tan. He's like so tan. I went Tony my next Carbonetti, life. I want to be Tony Carbonetti. Former chief of staff to uh, Mayor Giuliani. How are you, Tony? All is great, John. Thank you. And uh, the big item that we're dealing with today is uh, uh, we always have Curtis uh, on for a couple of minutes to find out what the heck is going on. And uh, last night, Curtis was in Staten Island, and and today he's on his way to uh, uh, Floyd Bennett Field. Uh, Curtis Lewa, where are you? Right now I'm at the Toys R Us by Floyd Bennett Field. There's about 500 uh, demonstrators. You know, it's pouring rain, sitters out there. I've been assuring the police that I'm not going to get arrested today, so they feel a lot better about that, John. Well, that sounds like good news. Uh, last night, you were with Vito Fasella, the borough president of Staten Island, and uh, you guys got a little bit worked up, I understand, uh, in Staten Island. Oh, very heavily worked up. Uh, there were 4,000 people who showed up. Uh, I'd say half the crowd were Democrats, Republicans. There were no political signs. People had a issue dropped on them overnight at St. John Villa that had been a girls' Catholic school years ago, but housed the illegal aliens. And, John, I refer everybody to the Staten Island Advance article. Are you talking about the migrants? That is correct. And on June 14th, there was an article published. I had said they would be housed there. Uh, Both my fellow Republicans, Democrats, and City Hall said what happened again, John. I was right, and they were all wrong, but I shook now, everybody's I, hands last night. I understand Vito Fasella was there, and uh, uh, some people at City Hall were upset that the fact was you mentioned particular, uh, 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 a particular senator or a particular uh, uh, city council person. I mean, we don't really want to – WABC doesn't want to make a target of any particular person. Is that correct? Yes. No, you're absolutely correct upon uh, listening to the rally. I should not have mentioned any personal names. I will refrain from that both publicly at rallies and naturally over the air. And and WABC does not urge to have demonstrations in anybody's homes or anything like that. You know, you're in a public square in front of the school where where people are are doing it, but please, uh, I mean, you. I think you know better. You cannot say, well, let's demonstrate in front of the person's house. Is that correct? No, you're absolutely correct. Uh, although I have been a target of demonstrations in the past, I understand that's not the norm for most people. So I do apologize. Thank you, Curtis. And uh, Governor Patterson, you have something to say? Oh, I was just going to say that uh, I don't think any of the mayor's staff would even be surprised that they get mentioned by name because they work for the mayor. But uh, when you make uh, references to where they live, that that's something that, you know, you always have to remember when you're talking out loud, you're not just talking to 
supporters and maybe people who don't agree with you. You're also talking to an audience that may have a certain percentage of people who are incited by that because of their own mental difficulties. Judge Weinberg? You're absolutely correct. Yeah. My husband-in-law, David Patterson, <laughs> thanks for straightening me out. Yeah, no, you're no, good. Well, <laughs> Governor Patterson has a lot of common sense, and he's been through a lot uh, in life. Uh, go, uh, you're making me governor now? Thank no, you. no, no. <laughs> Judge Judge Richard Weinberg, any I think, comments? I think the governor is absolutely correct, and I think Curtis is now doing the right thing. We want to have more civility. We have heated issues. We don't want to inflame people who may turn out to be dangerous. We had that problem with Justice Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court. Nobody wants to see our public officials under physical threat. So on behalf of WABC, uh, if anybody was uncomfortable, we apologize, and it uh, won't happen again. And uh, uh, we, we just want, I think what people want, they want to be, they want to feel safe. Uh, Curtis, tell us about uh, uh, Floyd Bennett Field. Uh, uh, what's going on there tonight? Well, uh, this it is ironic. It's raining heavily here. This is a flood zone. And the mayor said that he would never put a migrant uh, center in a flood zone. Well, guess what? He put it in a migrant, uh, a flood zone. The, the people who live in the area, the Rockaways and in Brooklyn, are upset. Again, John, most of them are Democrats. They are not Republicans. This is not a political rally. This is a rally of people who have uh, family families here. They have values in their homes. Uh, they don't want to be scared because there is no security. You put a you put in this case two thousand single able bodied men out there in tents with nowhere to go, nothing to do. I don't care if they were in a prep school, I don't care if they were in Ivy League school, that's a recipe for problems. And the residents here are not gonna take it. They're not taking it. Well, Curtis Sliwa, thank you and stay safe and make sure everybody else stays safe and uh, God bless you and God bless America. And we all wanna save New York because Right now, New York is a little bit out of control. Yep. I'll let everybody know how things went with Sid Rosenberg in the morning. He's here. We're co-hosting this event. So thanks for the airtime. And WABC people out there so appreciate us keeping them informed with what's going on with this migrant issue. Thank you. And uh, right now we have Alan Dershowitz, the uh, law professor of 50 years. Uh, oh, 50 years, but he's only 49. Yeah, and he has a great uh, new book, Howard by the way. University to talk about the... Uh, uh, what's going on in the legal community? You know, I think he has 50 books. So you, I think you're right on the 50, John. Uh, he, and his latest one is called Get Trump. And uh, Professor Dershowitz, we wanted to talk with you because we are waiting at any moment. Uh, President Trump is expected to surrender in Georgia. This is to Fulton County. Uh, this is going to be an, un- an unbelievable moment. I mean, there's cameras in there. There's also going to be a mugshot in there. Uh, walk us through What's going to happen? And just this, you know, the historic moment of this. The absurdity of having a mugshot. We know the reason they have mugshots. So if you escape to Brazil, they can find you and somebody might recognize you from a picture. He's the most photographed people person in the world. Of course, you don't need a mugshot. The mugshot is only designed to say, see, we're treating you like everybody else, like a common drug criminal. But uh, it's it's silly. Of course, Trump will turn it to his advantage and make it into a T-shirt and everybody will buy it <laughs> wearing the Trump mugshirt. Uh, but, uh, you know, this I never thought I'm turning 85. I never thought I'd see the day when the man running against the incumbent president would be indicted on these kinds of charges uh, and uh, arrested and, 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 and mugged in a jail. Uh, this is banana republic stuff. This is not 
the rule of law or, or the America that we all live. Let, let's decide he, who should be president in an election. I want to vote against Donald Trump. If you want to vote for him, fine. But, you know, the DA of Fulton County shouldn't be denying that. Professor Lawrence Tribe or Judge Ludic shouldn't be denying his right to vote by saying the 14th Amendment precludes him because what he fought in the Civil War. No, uh, these are all absurd arguments. And uh, we should be allowed to go forward with an election. I hope Donald Trump loses the election, but I hope he loses it fair and square not as the result of somebody's finger on the scale. That's what we love about you, by the way, Professor Dershowitz, because he just said he's a Democrat. He's not voting for him, but he doesn't like what's going on. Tony Carbonetti. Alan, it's Tony Carbonetti. And see, this is why you're the legal expert, not the marketing guy. There will be (laughs) T-shirts, but the mug shot goes on the coffee mugs. There will be Uh, coffee mugs online. (laughs) Uh, Guaranteed. What are your thoughts on the debate last night to replace Donald? Well, nobody's going to replace him. Uh, nobody, you know, shown so much that people are saying to themselves, gee, he's ahead by all those numbers, and we've changed our minds as a result of that. I thought Nikki Haley did a great job. I thought she was the moderate. She was the one who probably could do the best in a one-on-one against, um, against President Biden, but uh, she's not going to beat Trump. Uh, you know, of course... It's the good Lord who will determine who dis- who, vo- who runs against who, because we're talking about octogenarians here. And I'm convinced it's about- not Trump-Biden. Uh, I'm convinced. Yeah. I don't know who it's going to be. The American public don't want, to, don't want it to be Trump-Biden. That's my point. If right 75% now, of them say they don't want that, why do we keep yeah. putting it out there? Yeah, because that's what the polls show, even though people don't want it. If you ask who should get the Republican nomination – the vast majority say Trump, and if you ask who should get their Democratic nomination, the vast majority say Biden, but the vast majority say we don't want it to be Trump <laughs> Biden. So right, and, but he's still so, you know, I want to ask you, Professor Dershowitz, also on the legal end and sort of interfacing with the uh, election, they just came out, uh, the Fulton County DA, uh, you call her Mayberry, right, John? Where's it from? Uh, the Beverly Hillbillies, the right? The Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies. But a Fulton County Fanny, uh, this is the one, of course, who no, uh, did the charges. I don't want to call anybody names because we don't do that. We joke around. Well, from Fulton uh, County. That, We're saying Fulton yeah, County, right? Fulton but, County. Right, I mean, to make the look, distinction it's, it's between not Georgia. Right to call people names, but we can make jokes about uh, jokes, but that. Call people yeah, but, names. Absolutely. But so, okay. but uh, Professor Dershowitz, we're talking about Fulton County, Georgia. All right. Yeah. And in Fulton County, Georgia, she just came back with a date of October 23rd, uh, suggesting it to be like, you know, this is the case with Trump so, and 18 co-defendants. How is that ever going to happen? The, the case no, would no, start it's then. Worse than that. It's worse than that. She's done what she accuses Donald Trump of doing. She has lied to the judge. She has committed fraud on the court for her to say that she could bring this case to trial against Donald Trump in two months is a blatant lie. I've been doing this for 60 years. There's never been a case in the history of the world where you have 19 defendants, 50 lawyers, multiple RICO counts, and we can try it in two months. You know what I would do if I were a lawyer? I would get in front of that judge and say, Your Honor, sorry. I'm not engaging in malpractice. I am not defending my client ineffectively in two months. You've got to get yourself a whole bunch of other lawyers because we're not going to do it. It's like asking a brain surgeon to operate uh, with five minutes notice and no opportunity to, to prepare. She knows it. She is lying directly to the court. 
She's lying to the American public. She's doing exactly what she accuses Donald Trump and Mark Meadows and others of doing. She's using her ro- her, her her authority as an uh, officer of the court and as an elected DA to lie to everybody. She Alan, knows she can't bring this case to trial in two months. Alan, it's Richard Weinberg. As you and I talked about the other night, what you have here is you have a denial of due process to the defendants and you have a denial of effective representation of counsel, both of which are enough to set aside any conviction they would have on these flimsy but, grounds. But the, but the setting aside would occur after the election. Right, the goal is that's to rush point. to injustice, to make sure that there are convictions before the election so it becomes an election issue. And then, you know, in February of next year, the convictions will be reversed uh, a year and a half from now, and that'll be on page 23 of the which is Which so, proves your point that this is political action by her, not legal oh, action. No there's no question. Her attempt to get this case to trial. Look, she has a problem because she has a couple of defendants who want speedy trials. And under Georgia law, they're entitled to speedy trials. But Donald Trump is saying, no, we don't want a speedy trial, so let's get a severance. They don't want a severance. She said she wants to try all 19 people together in two months. Again, <laughs> that's unethical for her to say that. She knows it's not true. And ethics experts ought to look into this. Now, you're going to get the Democrats who are going to say, you know, there are a bunch of lawyers who filed an amicus brief in Washington saying, we want this case tried by, by January 2nd. These aren't lawyers. These aren't law professors. These aren't judges. These are zealous advocates who are prepared to do anything to get Trump. That's why I titled my book, Get Trump. I didn't make it up. That's what's happening. Get Trump. Anything to get Trump to stop him from running is okay. We don't care what we do to the Constitution or anybody's rights. Uh, Governor or Tony Carbonetti, anything? You have 19 defendants. I mean, Alan's 100% right. 19 defendants doing discovery in two months. It's not going to happen. It's not realistic. I thought that she may have done this to try to appease people who want the speedier trial before the campaign starts. Because when the campaign really starts, at that point, it's going to be hard for both to exist at the same time. Also, you're going to have to pick jurors. And you're going to get one juror, and the defendant's going to say, strike that juror. And the other defendant's going to say, no, 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 I like that juror. And it's going to be impossible. You know, in Georgia... Jury selection can take months itself. How do you voir dire with 19 defendants? Yeah, yeah, and, and with 50 lawyers, or maybe more. At least every, every defendant is going to have at least two lawyers. Some will have three. You're going to try to get the schedules to match, to be able to get. I mean, these are lawyers who have trial schedules. But, but this is a small court. county. It's not the state of Georgia. It's a small county in yeah. Georgia. Fulton uh, County. Uh, yeah, Fulton County. And and uh, what, I mean, it's just mind-boggling. Is this just Act 1, Scene 1, uh, uh, Alan Dershowitz? I mean, is it just a comedy routine, just to, just to put it on the front page? You know, sometimes it's hard to tell when Shakespeare writes a play, whether it's a comedy or a tragedy. People forget that The Merchant of Venice, where the Jew is uh, uh, treated so terribly, is a comedy. So we mix comedy and tragedy. This is a tragedy with comic overtones. Alan Dershowitz, thank you so much for coming on today, and God bless you, and we pray pray for America. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Now I understand we have, there was a rumor around uh, that West Hampton Airport, uh, that there's going to be migrants 
And I know the people in, in Suffolk County said, no way are we accepting migrants. Uh, Judge Weinberg, you want to introduce our guest? Okay. We have Jesse Garcia on the line with us. Jesse's the vice chair of the state Republican Party and the county chair of the Suffolk County Party. Jesse, what do you know about this and what is Suffolk County going to do about this? Your Honor, John, how are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Um, we're going to, have to do this quick, but what we heard is that in court papers filed by the Adams administration from New York City, the papers were updated, I believe, on Monday. And in those papers, they were stating for the state to place as shelters, and they're very specific. They were talking about the Pilgrim State facility, Kings Park, and uh, among them, the Gabreski Airport, the West Hampton Airport. Now, this is, you know, the Republican led Suffolk County legislature um, actually was, ran point on this matter several months ago when this migrant problem first became an issue. And they took steps to hire independent counsel to fight the state in the placement of any um, migrants, unbedded migrants here in the county of Suffolk, including taking steps when it comes to utilizing, which are in these court papers, the um, state university system. So everyone was saying that this was a rumor, it wasn't going to happen. Well, in the very court papers of, you know, Mayor Adams and backed by Hochul, this has been what's going on. And that's why our, our next county executive, Ed Romaine, said today, today Newsday confirmed what we have known for almost a year. Governor Hochul, Mayor Adams, and New York City Democrats want Suffolk County to bear the brunt no way. You shouldn't. I live in Suffolk County no on way. weekends. No way. No way. And uh, the people of Suffolk County should say no way, and that's it. And I don't understand why. what's wrong with Rikers Island. Put them on Rikers Island. Why do you exactly. make the people of New York suffer? Yeah, why are we, like, kind of dotting them around, John? Because how many people could stay in Rikers? I mean, that's the other point. Right, why are we... The Republicans in the Suffolk County legislature, the first Republican majority in 16 years, took the lead to ensure months ago that Suffolk County would not allow this to happen. They are ramped up, ready to go. Our next county executive is ramped up and ready to go to use every tool possible to ensure the safety of our community and the sanctity of well, our community. Well, we should have uh, our current uh, county executive, who is it? Uh, Steve Malone. Steve Malone, and see what he plans to do, because he, people he, of Suffolk County don't want. They don't he, want... Uh, migrants in, at Gabreski Airport, at West Hampton Airport. Right, My where's God. it going to end? John, I just saw today, uh, it's in at least 200 locations, migrants in New York City so far, uh, in the city. And also, Kathy Hochul, just a little bit ago, big news, we were talking about this earlier, the governor, I, um, that she has now petitioned President Biden and asked to expedite work permits and get more funds. Uh, Governor enough Patterson, is, it's crazy. It's, it's enough crazy. Is enough. It is. Jesse Garcia, we got to go. We got to take a break, and we'll talk to you, you again real you soon. So much. Thank, Thank you, you Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Let's go to a break, and when we come back, we're coming with, back with Carl Rove to give us an analysis of where the heck uh, the the debate go. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly two million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than fifty percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 
A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Rita, I understand on the line right now we have Carl Rove. Yeah, absolutely. What a debate it was last night. Uh, Carl, what did you think of the first GOP primary debate? There are some people who, who did what they needed to do that night. Uh, Ron DeSantis, I thought, had a good opening. He had a good closing. He did a good job of focusing on his ability to get things done, represented by his record in Florida. So it, this was important for him to have a good night, and he had a good night. Mike Pence was the surprise of the evening. First of all, he was number one. He had 12 minutes out of the debate, more than anybody else on the stage. And uh, he was rather defiantly the Reagan conservative and uh, went out of his way to uh, to accept, um, uh, you know, what he did. He explained what he did on January 6th and, to, and, and accept uh, arrows from the audience if they didn't want to, if they didn't like it. But he was defiant. And I thought that was good for him. Nikki Haley had a good night. Uh, strength, strong, some good lines. Uh, she engaged with uh, Vivek Ramsawani, who I think had, on, on points, had a good evening and on substance had a bad evening. Um, it, to representative of, of, of that was his comment that everybody else on the stage was bought and paid for, which I thought was so over the top that it was representative of his mindset. I'm the only perfect person on this stage. And he got he got whacked around. He got whacked around on on, uh, you know, flip-flopping on things. He got whacked around on, on comments that, uh, you know, we ought to, that Ukraine, we ought to get out of Ukraine because we're forcing Russia to align itself with China. and We need to stop aid to Israel because we need to have them stand on their own. And, you know, with Taiwan after 2028, we don't care really whether China invades Taiwan as long as we've got our chip factories up and operating by then. I mean, it was like Nikki Haley in particular said, uh, you know, you have no foreign policy experience and it shows. And he was robotic, I thought. Uh, very energetic, a high level of energy, big smile, talked very fast. But I think uh, Chris Christie got off one of the better lines of the night that he sounded like, Ch- you know, Chad GP- GPT. And, and uh, you know, it. Uh, Christie had, you know, a mixed night. He was very good, surprisingly, on talking about his record in New Jersey. I suspect a lot of people learned something new about what he'd done as governor. He also prosecuted the case against uh uh, but, you know, he he was really hoping that Trump would show up. That would be the fireworks of the night. And obviously the former president uh, uh, didn't show. Asa Hutchison, Doug Burgum, both effective governors of smaller states. Nobody really knew them before they, that, that night. And I think they, you know, did a good job of presenting themselves. We'll see if they can meet the criteria for the second debate. But, uh and Tim Scott, you know, aspirational. He, he wasn't. He didn't speak as much as the others, but he had a nice, aspirational, uplifting, positive message and and some flashes of humor that were a, a welcome addition. But look, this was not a debate. It was not without Trump there. It was unlikely to be a debate that had a determinative effect on the outcome of the election. But each of the several of the people took advantage of the night to build themselves into a better place. Uh, you know, than they were before the debate began. Did you get a chance to see any por- any uh, portion of the uh, Trump uh, uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson? I, I mean, did. There's a lot of BS around. There was 150 million people watching. But, you know, Elon Musk, when you own the company and, you, own, you know, you don't know what the real number is. What yeah, do you we, think? We don't. Yeah. Well, I, look, I, I think it had a much 
smaller viewership uh, than the debates actually did. Because, I mean, you're talking about having to go on X and then find it and, you know, 45 minutes long. And so maybe, you know, the kids wander in and say, Dad, come play with this. Or, you know, Mom, what's what's for dinner? So, you know, I, I just, uh, we don't know. But clearly this rambling sort of thing, it went lots of different directions. Uh, you know, it, it was the, it was Donald Trump's favorite hits. You know, the, does, does Fox have, does, does does Fox have a, a a final number? How many people watched on Fox? Uh, I'm sure there is. I don't know what it is. Carl Rove, thank you. God bless you, and God bless America. God bless America. Carl, thank you so much. Great to have you and have your perspective, boy. Uh, Tony Carbonetti, what did you think of the debate? I, I think. What happens in these debates now, so it was the first debate, so everyone wanted to show their credentials. Why am I here? How did I get here type of thing? But then you start separating the adults that can actually do the job from the people like Ramaswamy, who I think Nikki Haley just pulled his pants down and showed he was an amateur. Okay, that, that's really what you saw last night. But guys like he Chris was, Christie. He was debriefed. He was debriefed last night. He, he was debriefed on foreign policy by Nikki Haley. That's a great one, John. And he was taken down by Chris Christie as just being the kind of guy that sits there and says what they put in front of him and not actually having to do it. So who did you think won? What, who did you think were the big winners? No, let's say, no, let's do it differently. Let's Nikki do it differently. Haley, Chris Christie, you, you and had eight people. Pence. You might have four in the next debate in September, September 27th. They should cut it to four or five. I agree. Four or five. Which four do you think it will be five? I I would do uh, Pence, Christie, uh, Nikki Haley, Scott, and DeSantis. Those are the five. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I love Mike Pence. I actually think Vivek will definitely be in the debate. He did say some crazy things. He's a rank amateur. But but, but he had some energy. He connected. Rita, I'm, not, were, I'm not saying. You were at the dinner party we had for Vivek. I, I am. couldn't govern. I'm you talking were from an aesthetic standpoint. I'm not necessarily talking about from you a content how, standpoint. Right, he's a show. But the show has to stop. Listen, this is not Andrew Yang. It's not about Reagan. Andrew Yang. That's exactly Is he Andrew Yang of this year? 100%. Governor Patterson. But it's refreshing to see somebody (laughs) different. Will somebody give uh, Andrew, you know, Governor Patterson a chance to talk? (laughs) Do we have to? Andrew. Do we have to? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that at at these types of debates, there are people, they know they're not going to win. And this is why they do set, you know, parameters for them. They know they're not going to win. But what they can do is appeal to the people in, like, uh, the bleachers. They say things that are really wild, crazy. Everybody else here is bought and paid for. Maybe he's one of the people buying them. Like, that yeah, was the Trump, I agree. That, that was the Trump 2016 campaign. Yeah. He'd but by the way. Thinking he wasn't going to win. And right. he'd say that, And he won. And that's what I exactly agree with you. I think Vivek Which is buying. Which we got to get rid of him now. Well, well I think Vivek <laughs> is buying for, you know, maybe cabinet or who knows what. You know, but. but out, how do I read it? Breaking news, breaking news. Alex Garrett from 970 AM is sending me a thing. NBC sportscaster Bruce Beck robbed at his wallet outside the Today Show window in Rockefeller Plaza. Oh, my goodness. I love Bruce. Channel 4. He's been the oh longtime sports guy there. And you know what it I just shows? the video through the, through the TV, you know, the TV wow. station that overlooks the... Yeah. Ooh. Who was it? There was a Fox uh, weather guy not that long ago who was robbed on the subway and beaten, remember, on the subway. And yeah, now we're week. hearing about uh, Bruce Beck. Last this week is so happened. sad. Wow. So sad. What a sign of the times. All right. Should we go to a break right yes. now? Yep. We'll go to a break. And when we come back, we got... 
Ty McCoy, the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force, to find out what the heck is really going on. Is that guy really dead, the guy from the Wagner Group, or not? We'll find out. <laughs> You're commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back. Well, everybody is talking about the death, or at least reported death, of the mercenary leader. And we're talking about Yevgeny Prigozhin of the Wagner Group. And, John, just a little bit ago, Vladimir Putin came out and said he sends his condolences oh, to the leader. Did you see I heard that? Two it was months very ago, sincere. Two, two months ago, they mysteriously canceled his life insurance policies. Oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> isn't that, and he stood and he was near a, uh, an well, 8-4 window, right? let's find out the facts. <laughs> Enough with the jokes. Let's find out the facts. We got with us. Uh, Ty McCoy, the former assistant secretary of the Air Force, a West Point uh, graduate. Ty, tell us, what do you think? What the heck is really going on? Well, I think that probably uh, Prigozhin and his top uh, lieutenants and command uh, and the tentacles of the Prigozhin organization were given a, a sense of uh, security uh, because they were somewhat apart from each other. And so... Uh, given a sense of security about a deal in Belarus, uh, tell us where all the money is, let's all be friends, let's make up. And so I think that Putin uh, used that time and those reassurances to gather as much information as he could about what was going on inside that outfit, who was really running the show, and then he gathered them together so they could all be on a plane flying back somewhere so he could strike all at once. And as they say in many circles of the life. Uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. So I think he is probably dead. And the plane went down either because of a device on board or perhaps a stealth fighter uh, firing cannons from a long range so that it wouldn't look like Russian air defense a missile leaving contrails in the sky was responsible for it. But in any case, I think that he is probably gone. A day before that, they uh, dismissed the uh, General Armageddon, General Sorovikin, who had been uh, the head of the Air Force, as well as running some of the Ukraine war. So I think he's slowly taking down uh, those that uh, uh, were interested, uh, that were part of or interested in uh, supporting, uh, you know, other people than him. And he's sort of like uh, the Chinese have done many times when there's a little bit of a rebellion. Uh, they wait and they watch and see who else signs up with the rebels because they want to get them all at once rather than not know who is going to choose which side. So I think that's what's happened. What, do you, what does this mean, Ty? Uh, this is Rita Cosby. What does this mean for uh, the war now in Ukraine, as you just talked about the General Armageddon uh, as well removed? Uh, what does this mean in terms of where it's headed? Well, I think it does uh, really raise a question of um, the uh, immediate battlefield. The, the Ukrainians... Uh, have bogged down a little bit in their counteroffensive. They have found that the Russian depth of defense and the mines and the trenches and the terrain uh, have not been as easy to break through or penetrate, even with Western equipment that they have. And so I think uh, Putin, watching that uh, and seeing that his defenses are holding to the ground that he has conquered so far, and the Ukrainians have pivoted to more trench warfare and slower, more careful warfare because they're being treated with their manpower. And the West uh, has not gotten some things there as fast as, as they had hoped. 
that that gave Putin confidence that he could uh, take on uh, Wagner. He could knock them out. He could take them out of the fight and he could have time to kind of repurpose uh, the, the battlefield. And so he decided to uh, pull in their horns and chop them down, take over their operations in different places and turn back to the regular army, uh, Gerasimov and Defense Minister Shoigu and say, OK, you guys proved incompetent when you first invaded Kiev. You have proven a little more competent on the defense. Now you see what happens when you don't get the job done. So I think he's constantly shifting, looking for uh, you know, escape hatches and, and uh, looking for loyalty and being surprised by the failures uh, that have occurred because he received bad intelligence, bad information from a lot of his top people uh, that have led him to make bad decisions. What did you uh, what did you make of the new news also, Ty, of uh, Putin coming out? And, uh, you know, he said, oh, well, Prigozhin made some mistakes, but I, boy, I send my condolences. Uh, it's almost like a scene out of a movie, but he does this big national address <laughs> a little bit ago. What's your reaction to the way uh, Putin's messaging to it the world? It was taped the day before, actually. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Yeah. I, th- I think maybe what the signal is that uh, Prigozhin made mistakes, not uh, Prigozhin's family. Uh, we are, do have some uh, honor among the mob leaders here, and also we are not going to maybe go after individual Wagner uh, troops. You can sign up and do things and so forth. We got uh, Pergozin. We got his top lieutenants. There's nobody to uh, hang on to anymore. And so that's over, and everybody needs to look for a new uh, a new roof, as they say in Russia, Krisha, a new roof of protection and, and collection. And so I think that... Uh, that's what's happened right around around Pergozin. And I think that it now falls back in a larger scene that many of the top uh, people around Putin have always been somewhat Eurocentric. They want to be part of Europe. They want a vacation in Europe, be educated, spend money. And now that uh, he's had to turn back to those people, a yep. lot of his top generals, they are going to uh, make use of that uh, need that he has uh, on the battlefield to also pressure him. Uh, to not go as close and as deep in with China. There are some Sinophiles or people around him that are pro-China, yep. but a lot of the top leaders are really more pro-Europe, and they think this whole war uh, was pretty much a mistake, and, and, and now they definitely think it's a mistake, and they don't want to end up being subservient to China as part of an effort to uh, undermine Europe and, and grab control of the global south. Well, Ty McCoy, thank you so much for being with us, uh, the former Assistant Secretary of the Air Force. We really appreciate your perspective. Uh, what a huge change of international events uh, with this development here. Thank you so much. And uh, we were talking about the debate earlier, everybody talking, and, and the issue of uh, this Wagner leader was a focus also of the debate last night, got into some foreign policy, because obviously there's so many implications. And joining us now is Michael Goodwin, the great Pulitzer Prize winning correspondent and columnist, of course, there and author, uh, our friend here from Cats and Cosby. We're so happy to have you here, Michael. You wrote a great column and it said Republican candidates have to step it up to take the nomination from Trump. Uh, talk of, give us your assessment of the first GOP debate and who you think is going to make it to the second round, which is in September. Uh, thank you, Rita. Now, look, I think that uh, in some ways each of the candidates uh, did well. And if you score it according to the idea that 
they're they're vying for second place. This is a race to be the one challenger to Donald Trump in the Republican field. And by that stake, I don't think there was any clear breakout. I thought that, you know, a, a number of people did things well. I think uh, uh, certainly Chris Christie had a moment. Mike Pence had a moment. Nikki Haley had a moment. And Vivek Ramaswamy, of course, I think uh, was sort of the, the the man in the uh, in the lights most of the night. He was he was firing it off and and taking a lot of incoming too. So it was a spirited evening. I thought the the significance of it was that here you have uh, all of these Republican candidates, eight of them last night, uh, who want to be uh, to go head to head with Donald Trump. Now, obviously, uh, Trump has a huge lead. Uh, in the polls and as much as 40 points in some cases. Mm-hmm. So it's, this may not be a great honor to be uh, to be second to Donald Trump, because at some point you're either going to have to beat him or he's going to beat you. And he's got a huge advantage. So, I, look, I thought that uh, Ron DeSantis was fine. But I, I, DeSantis's decline is something of a mystery. I mean, he's just, you know, come out of the gate was going to be the one and has just had nothing but a decline almost ever since, uh, coming up on, what, six, seven months now. So uh, his performance was okay, but I don't think it changed the dynamics of the race. And I think so we, we go forward with Trump still in a commanding lead and others trying to be the one who will go against him. Now, do you think for the next debate, uh, some are not going to make it? I mean, it's a higher criteria. Do you see, you know, Asa Hutchinson, some of these others who just inked it out on the first one, are they going to make it to the second I one? I don't think Hutchinson and I don't think uh, Vivek is going to make it. Yeah, what, and, what's well, the next bar? I don't even know. I think he'll make it to the next. It's 3%. This one was 1% in a couple polls. Now for the next one on September 27th, it's 3% and you have to have more individual donors. Well, let's have Michael. Michael, you, uh, you, you tell us your view. Well, look, I I agree that uh, raising the threshold that way will knock off at least, I would think, the two the two end runs there, uh, the North Dakota governor and uh, Asa Hutchinson, and maybe others. I mean, we'll have to see. But I I think generally the idea of raising the bar is a good thing because it it focuses the debate. It allows it, it requires the candidates to meet these. Uh, thresholds so that when you get the exposure of the debate, you're really ready mm-hmm. and you have a real chance of winning. And I think that's the key here. I, I think if the Republicans remember uh, a couple of uh, in Donald Trump's first go around 2017, 2016, what there was something like 16 or 17 yeah, candidates two stages. There's, yeah, it's crazy. So uh, last night there were eight. I suspect there will be six or perhaps even five at the next debate. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and everybody, we're talking to Michael Goodwin of the New York Post, uh, Judge Weinberg. Michael, I want to ask you your opinion. Everybody said they understood why Trump didn't show up because why become the pinata and everybody attacking him? And he doesn't need it anyway because he's 40 points ahead. But hasn't he established a precedent in some way to give Biden an excuse for not going into a debate on a presidential Democrat versus Republican candidacy? What do you think? And by the way, the DNC also just came out. I don't know if you saw this. Um, yesterday, the DNC had a press conference, and they kind of alluded that maybe he may not do a debate, period. Uh, Biden, I'm talking right. about. So uh, yeah, you're right, it opens the door, right? Ma- Michael, don't you think that's a disservice to this country? 
Uh, that would be in the general election. I think that uh, I, I don't think there's any equivalency between Trump skipping this one and Biden skipping a general election, because there are going to be how many uh, Republican debates and forums, whereas there will only be at most three uh, presidential debates uh, involving both both candidates and maybe only two or even one. So I think that skipping that, using this as an, as an excuse to skip that, is Biden once again wishing to go back to uh, the uh, 2020 and uh, hide in the basement, it seems to me. I, I don't think... I, I don't think any excuse is going to wash for skipping a presidential debate. But, of course, if he is the candidate, and I still have my doubts that Joe Biden will be the candidate, um, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on him to debate Donald Trump. Yeah, I do, too. Uh, uh, Michael Goodwin, uh, Governor Patterson has a question for you. Well, Michael answered it before I get asked it. What do they say in court? Asked and answered. I was going to say to him. (laughs) That's correct. That's correct. That I did not think there was any way that President Biden could go and not debate in uh, in, in 2024. Uh, The same way uh, Jimmy Carter tried that in 1980 Mm -hmm. and it backfired on him. Look, I think it has now become something of a tradition that there be presidential debates in the fall. And so you're right, Governor, that that to back out, I think, would bring a lot of you and cry. And it would, I think, cause a lot of people to consider changing their vote. Not everyone, of course, but I think there would be a real risk. You're not likely to win any votes by not debating. So you're almost certain to lose some. So if if this is shaping up to be a close election, uh, if it is a rematch between Biden and Trump, which most of the country doesn't want, but right now that's where we're headed. They used to dangle the money over your head. It was the matching funds from the presidential fund. You had to debate. And now I don't, I don't think people care about that money anymore. I think it's insignificant to the campaigns. That's right. It it's, uh, used to be something like $75 million. Right. Now that's I insignificant. Think. That's a, that's a super PAC. Oh, isn't that amazing? $75 million insignificant. It's a super yeah, isn't PAC. Isn't that amazing? Wow. <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to put on, that's supposed to be free, largely for your convention costs and things to that order that give, give both parties something of an equal footing on that one event and on all of the other housekeeping issues for putting on a convention, et cetera. But, uh, Look, it, it's uh, it's a very strange, very strange time we live in. Uh, there seems to be a lot in play. Of course, President Trump has all these legal issues uh, being arraigned today. I guess soon in uh, in Georgia, uh, President Biden with his obvious health issues, and uh, so it's a lot of a lot of things in play. And I don't think we've seen the last shoe drop yet. All right. Well, wow. Thank you very much, Michael Goodwin. We love and appreciate your perspective so very much. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes, John. And now some uh, breaking news. I understand uh, in response to what happened in Staten Island last night, uh, we have the borough president of Staten Island, uh, uh, Vito Fusella, has re- uh, is calling in. Yep. We got him on the line, I understand, right? We've got, yep, we've got, perfect. Hey, Vito, how are you? I'm doing great, Rita. Good evening, everybody. John, Governor. Wow, fill us in. Well, fill us in. What the heck happened last night? Well, last night was a demonstration of American freedom. Uh, People were told that the city is planning one more migrant shelter in the heart of a place called Arakar, 
which is a beautiful residential community. And it's taking an old building, it was an old, old girls uh, school, and now owned by the city of New York, but they want to convert it to a migrant shelter with uh, at least 300 people. But the problem, in addition to being in the heart of this beautiful residential community, is directly across the street from a Catholic elementary school and an all-girls Catholic high school. I mean, not even 30 feet away. And two blocks is another public elementary school. And we just feel that this could be probably the worst location for one of these facilities. Uh, We had over a 1,000 people out last night in front of the school. Uh, Almost every elected official, community folks were out there to send their signal that they do not want this to occur. And we are with them a 1,000 percent. We're concerned about— And Curtis says there were Democrats, Republicans. Everybody was there. It was not just the Republicans. Right. And somebody in the crowd, uh, you know, like you always say, common sense, somebody said that the Democrats don't want this facility and the Republicans don't want this facility and the people of Staten Island don't want, don't want this facility. Why are we getting this facility? And it's, and it's across the street from an active uh, uh, school where where you have migrants there that nobody has vetted and the kids have to go to school across the street. That's exactly right. Yeah. And wow. we, and oh my God! In what world does that traffic. make sense? Yeah, it doesn't and, make any no, sense. No. And it's, we set so, perimeters for schools with in relationship to bars and right. other places that we do that all the time. Why would we lift it for migrants? That's a great point, Governor Patterson. Uh, your thoughts, Vito? That's an excellent point, and and there are so many things that are happening that the the city is drinking from a fire hose. And I think we said it last night. If you have a hole in your roof and it's raining, you don't just sit in your living room with an umbrella, right? And that's what's happening at the federal border. The The roof is open. The t- folks just keep pouring in, and they end up in Staten Island and places like that. And it's just not right. we got to fix the roof, close the border. And the one thing we are doing, we announced it today, John, so you want breaking news, we filed a lawsuit against the city uh, on a number of different causes of action, one of which is a... a violation of the zoning resolution another a public nuisance they're talking about putting a number of portable showers adjacent to somebody's backyard so imagine being that homeowner and you have portable showers on the other side of your fence 24 hours a day seven days a week and not no notice so for a number of different reasons and we think Staten Island is is in, uh, suffering from a disproportionate burden of these migrants we're suing the city, and we're going to do a press Vito, conference. I, I don't understand. When, when is the press conference? It'll be tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Wow. Wow. Quick question for you, Vito. Yep. I, you know, I still don't understand why they don't put these people on Rikers Island. You have 20,000 beds there, 30,000. I don't know. Yeah. You have plenty of room for uh, for uh, tents. And, John, what kind of work has been done on these people? So they've entered through the southern border. They've been shipped up here, bus or plane or however. And now we have to house them, and we're, we're burdening the people of Staten Island. What has what process have they been fingerprinted, identified? Has anyone checked any kind of criminal record from where they come? Has anything been done on them? No, this is just window dressing, and then the whole notion that they're asylum seekers. If you make it a, uh, an appointment now for asylum seekers, it's about nine years from now. So does that mean we have to accommodate these folks for the next seven, eight, nine years? to the tune of $100,000, $150,000 per family per year. 
With no uh, paperwork. So many different levels. And, and, the, and as you point out, Tony, the security issues, the health issues, kids were sent to school last September without the appropriate immunization of vaccines. Where if you were a kid in Staten Island, you weren't going in the front door unless you can prove that you were vacc- vaccinated and immunized. And we're just letting it do. So to the governor's point, it seems like we're, we're basically throwing the entire rule book for regular citizens out the window and we're bending over backwards to accommodate this. So whether we put them in Rikers Island, put them in Ellis Island, put them in, uh, in Governor's Island, put them somewhere where you're not impacting hardworking New York taxpayers. And the kids, and the, the migrant kids that are going to school with our kids, mm-hmm. they have not been checked if they have any diseases. That's correct. And That's every other situation that uh, this has occurred in, uh, this became an emergency because there was no planning. If that, this is what the federal government wanted to do, and they gave the city six to nine months' notice, there would have been a way to try to work that out. But and they, they knew just, it was coming, Governor, too. I mean, that's the other thing. This is not, like, no unpredicted. Way. You know, I mean, don't you think, Vito? I mean, you they knew it was going to happen. But there's no way to plan for this, folks, because when you have an open border where they're coming by the hundreds of thousands, you cannot plan for this. And you they'll keep cl- coming. And, and they'll keep coming. Keep coming. And keep coming. You have to stop the nonsense calling this the sanctuary city and close the border. Right. And the judge would know this. This is like almost the fruit of the poisonous tree. Exactly. Right? The, the, the border is wide open. The roof is wide open. It keeps raining. We've kept thunderstorms and we're getting pelted right wow. here and we're absorbing it. There's been an abdication of the federal government as it relates to this issue. And we are paying the price. And I just hope people realize and, the consequences. And all. Vito, one more time, you're suing the city and you're going to have a press conference tomorrow at 11 o'clock to talk about it. That's exactly right. Yeah, keep us posted. Keep us posted. Thank you so much for calling in. And and we pray for our city. We pray, you know, we love our city and we better keep our city. Yeah, we got to. We got I'm glad, you know, everybody's speaking out. It's an American issue. It's not a Republican Democrat issue. It's an American issue. American issue of New Yorkers. Absolutely. Enough is enough, guys. Thank you so much, Rito. And what do we all stand for? Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless New York. God bless America. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.